Hey everyone, it's Dr. Sam, and I'd like to welcome you to another iClarity podcast. It's a fabulous day here. I'm having a great time. Uh, we, we have a number of questions we're going to get to today in the podcast. And so let's, let's just jump right in. This is a question from Dimitri, and he is suffering from nearsightedness, or what we call myopia. And he has a couple of questions about that because he would like to improve his myopia. He'd like to reduce his prescription. And he wants to know how much should he reduce his prescription and how many months is it going to take for his eyes to get better? So I love this question and I have personal experience with it because when I was a kid, I was very nearsighted and I went through a physical eye therapy program in my early 30s with a holistic eye doctor, and I completely dissolved my need for nearsighted glasses, and I haven't worn them over 30 years. I see 20-20 at distance and near. And so if I can do it, you can do it. So I'm going to give you a crash course. This is called Myopia 101, Dr. Burns Myopia 101 protocol. And so if you have been diagnosed with nearsightedness and you're tired of going back to the eye doctor, you know, every year, or every two years and getting a stronger prescription, like many of my patients uh, uh, have done, and you're feeling frustrated, uh, and of course, all you hear is, well, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to give you about eight different steps that you can kind of go through to improve your nearsightedness. So number one is to have an inquiry about how old you were when you got your first prescription. This is really important because, you know, we want to blame any eye problem and especially a refractive problem, whether you're nearsighted, farsighted, and have astigmatism uh, on genetics. It's like, well, if my parents or grandparents we're nearsighted, I'm going to be nearsighted. And there's a little truth to that, for sure. Genetics is definitely influencing and informing our genes in a certain way. But I find that the environment really affects our eyes in terms of how they develop. Environment, lifestyle, diet, stress, trauma, toxicity. So in terms of the... Um, the question, how old you were when you got your first prescription, this is telling because usually about a year or two before you got your first prescription, there was probably some event or series of events that occurred that caused you to pull your eyes, your vision in to a very close part of yourself. You know, I call it close to the vest, so to speak where you pull your visual world in, you blur it out there at you know 20 inches to four feet to 10 feet, and it's a tightening of your vision, your eyeballs, and so then when you go to the eye doctor, basically what they're doing is they're giving you a prescription to validate that pulling in of your eyes. And so you start wearing that prescription and uh, you don't deal with kind of the cause of why you did that, and this starts you down the the path of getting stronger and stronger nearsighted prescriptions. So that question of 
what was going on for you? You know, was it school? Did you have a parent who died? Did you move? These are really important questions. And I would start keeping a journal and write this down. And maybe every day ask that question. Okay, how old uh, was I when I got my first prescription? And what was going on for me? It's going to be very insightful. Number two, I would do my eye dialogue exercise. This is on my website. Because when you start patching an eye, and of course you're doing this without any corrective lenses on, so you want to do this in a very safe environment, and you start asking questions about how old is the eye, and is the eye married to the other eye, and is the eye married to the body, and you know, is the eye, um, what does the eye need? Uh, you're going to get some very interesting responses. Write them down. If you want to accelerate it, get the plus lens to blur, the far-sighted glasses, the magnification glasses that you put on over the eye that's not patched, and start interacting with your blur. Because for nearsighted people, blur is like kryptonite. It's like the one thing you're going to avoid at all costs. And I want you to see how invested you are in seeing it clearly. And when you start wearing something in a blurry fashion, it's going to bring up your control issues. It's going to bring up your fear. It's going to bring up what you don't like. Your, your preference, your point of view is right, the ego. And the goal is how much, have I can, how much can I surrender into the blur? And if you go to my website, I go through the, the steps on how to do that. Obviously, you're not going to do that while you're driving or, or walking in traffic. You want to do it locked in your bedroom where there's no demand. So you want to start exploring the blur. And what's interesting is when you take those blurry glasses off, you're going to see really clearly. And when you take the eye patch off, you're going to see even more clearly. And you're going to start to go, wow, maybe I don't need this prescription or need this strong prescription. Okay, number three, we're talking about what prescriptions you should wear. And this is, this is a very interesting conversation because you don't want to be practicing blurry prescriptions or blurry vision when you have a high visual demand. So you start off and you wear this full prescription when you're driving, when you're working, when you're going to the movies, when you're watching TV. If you're in a social situation or you're at an airport where you need to see clearly, wear the full prescription. And then see if you can negotiate with your eye doctor, hey doc, can I get a prescription that's a 2040 prescription so it corrects me to 2040 instead of 2020 because I want to try to exercise my eyes. I promise I will only use it in my bedroom, I'll only use it in a safe environment, but actually that 2040 prescription could be used for all your digital devices. Because when you wear a 2020 prescription for your digital devices, it's too strong because that prescription is made for 20 feet or beyond. And if you start using it for your digital devices, it is going to accelerate your nearsightedness getting worse. So negotiating with your eye doctor to get a 20 to 25% reduction in the distance prescription and wear it indoors, wear it walking around, wear it in low demand situations, and interact with it. Use it as a lens to be an inquiry about your awareness. What shows up for you? Maybe it will cause your eyes to feel more relaxed. That's what happened to me. In fact, I tell the story. 
when I was working with my eye doctor and I was, uh, I was wearing minus three at the time and he said, Sam, I want you to start wearing a minus two when you work in the office because I just had started an optometry practice. And after about a week of doing that, we had a staff meeting and my um, office manager said to me, Dr. Byrne, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? Are you, are you on antidepressants? What, you seem like so happy and so relaxed. Are you in a new relationship? <laughs> What's going on? And I said, well, actually, um, I'm wearing a reduced prescription. And so I recognized I slowed down. I was softer. I was more receptive. I was more compassionate. I listened to my patients more. Um, so a lot of amazing things happened because the filtering system I was living my life through was less intense. It was less focal. It was a little more dissolute. And that was really helpful for my nervous system. And eventually that became my distance prescription. So I started to uh, reduce the prescription even more. Okay, number four, how long is it going to take for my eyes to get better? I love this question because it's so open-ended. And <laughs> I remember my doctor saying to me, when I asked that question, he said, you have to give up the goal of getting rid of your nearsightedness. I went, what? I can't get rid of my goal. This is, I'm goal-oriented. I am like uh, inner-directed, outer-directed, goal, goal, goal. And he said, no, you've got to give up the goal and you've got to go into the process and trust the process. And if you give up the goal, you will get there. And I struggled with that for about three months. And then lo and behold, one day when I gave up the goal of getting rid of my nearsightedness, I woke up and I saw 2020. So when we asked the length, I mean, I could say that generally the more nearsightedness you have, the longer it's going to take for you. Um, if you have, say, under minus three or less, it could take you anywhere between three to six to nine months. And you have to be willing to stay the course. And so my, my recommendation would be to just trust the process and, um, you know, just go with it. Okay, number five, it's really important to boost your nutrients, especially your eye nutrients. So whether that's going more plant-based, a lot, lot more nuts and seeds, getting into smoothie formulas, um, maybe doing a detox, um, you know, but really increasing your antioxidants, going organic, really changing your diet, getting off of sugar, getting off of gluten and dairy. You know, how far do you want to go with this? But I think changing your diet and getting more nutrients good nutrients into your body is really a big piece to the puzzle. I would add my MSM eye drops with the eye massage. Why not? It's going to be great for you in terms of bringing more moisture and more nutrients to your eyes. Number six, probably emotions are going to come up for you when you start wearing less prescription. Might be time to do a little bit of psychotherapy or, you know, emotional release work because we do carry emotions in our eyes and in myopia, the primary emotion is fear. And so as you start reducing your prescription, your dreams may get more robust and intense 
and you may have more emotional releases. So having a support system there is really important. Number seven, getting more exercise. Now this could be aerobic exercise, it could be more mindfulness uh, practices like yoga or tai chi, qigong, uh, continuum movement. So getting more of the mindfulness exercise and the regular exercise. Getting a breathing practice, pranayama, or what I like to do is something called the end breath, which helps us kind of oxygenate and hydrate our body more. That's also a great thing. And number eight, getting better sleep. So the better we sleep, the more our parasympathetic nervous system will kick in, which induces more healing. So that's my eight-step myopia program, Dr. Burns 101. Dimitri, go to town. You can do it. second question is from a gal who's asking about optic neuritis. Optic neuritis is an inflammation of the optic nerve. It kind of swells up. It's usually more, it happens more in women than men, usually uh, over the age of 45, but it can happen to anybody. Um, some of the symptoms include blurred vision, some color blindness, some swelling, tenderness and soreness um, in and around the eye. Also, there's a, a decrease of peripheral vision. There can be flashing lights. Um, the pupil response can be irregular, so you can have more light sensitivity. And this is a pretty serious condition. And whenever I see optic neuritis, I think of a couple of things. First of all, multiple sclerosis, that's one thing that I'm ruling out. The second thing I'm thinking about is an autoimmune disease. There's something going on in the immune, uh, immune system level. Um, it can be caused by uh, viral infections, fungal infections, parasites, chemical poisonings, so toxicities. If you've expo been exposed to any toxicities um, heavy metals or pesticides, even pharmaceutical drugs. So I do a real thorough history on what drugs have you ever taken or been exposed to. You know, even things like antibiotics uh, sometimes can trigger this optic neuritis. I also look at things like allergies and obviously what's going on in the gut, the digestive health. So in terms of treating optic neuritis, the first thing I recommend is getting some kind of a scanning test. Now in ophthalmology or optometry, there's a test called the OCT. This, this is a scanning test that you can, you can check the optic nerve. You may need an MRI or a CAT scan, uh, but it's good to get some baseline of a picture of the optic nerve uh, inflammation. And then, maybe short term, I might prescribe some corticosteroids. Maybe. 
Sometimes when you apply uh, short-term uh, corticosteroids, it can bring the, the inflammation down pretty quickly. But then what I'm doing is I'm um, supplementing with complementary therapies, things like um, really boosting the omega-3 fish oil. I might do 2,000 milligrams um, of the fats and, fats and oils, include MCT oil, coconut oil, your nuts and seeds, because the optic nerve needs a lot of good fats. You know, I wrote a, an article in Mind Body Green about ocular regeneration, and one of the things I talk about is brain-derived neurotrophic um, factors, the BDNF, which is um, a very important component in brain health. It's also important for eye health. And there was a research study that I reported on. This was an animal study where they crushed the optic nerve, they added BDNF, and within a week, the, uh, the optic nerve increased by 17%, and in two weeks, it increased by 55%. And there's, so there are ways that you increase BDNF by increasing omega-3, getting better sleep, uh, reducing your stress, reducing inflammation, increasing probiotics, um, getting you know 20 to 30 minutes of sunlight, natural light every day, uh, reducing your use on uh, computers and digital devices. So BDNF is a really important component here, and it kind of it uh, it parallels and intersects with optic nerve health. I might also recommend color therapy, MSM eye drops, craniosacral therapy, um, and then I would add the the nutrients taurine, which is a really important amino acid, alpha-lipoic acid, and of course lutein, zeaxanthin, glutathione, bilberry. Um, so this is a situation where you have to be a detective. You have to look at it both systemic, metabolically, and also in terms of looking at the optic nerve specifically. Okay, my last question is from um, Barbara. And she's asking whether infrared saunas are good for your eyes. I love this question. This is, this is a great question. And uh, I've had a lot of experience with infrared saunas. And I think infrared saunas do some really uh, positive things for health. But I also, I am not going all in on infrared saunas. And the reason why is that there definitely are some negative side effects that aren't reported about infrared sauna. And some of those side effects can be things like um, it does change your heart rate and it creates more perspiration. Uh, it also, if you are sensitive to, you have a sensitive skin, I would be very careful about entering the infrared sauna uh, world. And for most eye problems, what I have observed is there's actually too much heat in the eyes already. You know, if we look at conditions like any of the inflammatory responses, anything from conjunctivitis to uh, iritis, I would put glaucoma in there, um, even things like uh, macular degeneration and dry eye syndrome, and maybe even blepharitis, there's too much heat already in the eyes. And so if you're gonna go sit in an infrared sauna, this is gonna make even more heat. And 
So you need to be very careful. So number one, I would consult your doctor before you do infrared saunas. And if he or she gives you a clean bill of health, I think you can start off very slowly with using infrared saunas because it has been shown to improve cardiovascular disease, reduce diabetes, reduce high blood pressure, uh, reduce some of the symptoms in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, it's been used um, to help reduce chronic muscle and joint pain. But if you're going to use infrared saunas, very, very important that you hydrate. What people forget to do is drink, especially when they're doing these kinds of uh, therapies. And infrared saunas can definitely trigger uh, detoxification. And it can come out through your skin as a rash. Uh, can show up on your in your body. It could even show up mentally, you know, and cognitively in terms of being a little foggy or dizzy or nauseous. So hydration is very important if you're going to be doing infrared saunas. So overall, um, I would give it a conservative yes, but I'd be very, very uh, careful. I would do my research to see whether infrared sauna is right for you because um, just because you read it on the internet or just because somebody says, hey, I really like this, do your research. And you gotta go beyond things like Wikipedia or even blogs. You wanna check it out and make sure it's a big study that was done. It's in a reputable medical journal. Has it been done over years of uh, research or is it just one time? And I would look beyond animal studies. Okay, Barbara, I hope that, that helps you. Unfortunately, that's all the time I have for today. I want to thank you so much for tuning into my podcast. Uh, it's been great. And until next time, take good care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsamburn.com. The Burn Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Burn for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.